We are studying the Sunday School lesson, Mary Visits Elizabeth, Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. One of the main lessons that we want to learn from this account is how God, in his grace, gives gifts to men, sometimes certain gifts to certain men, sometimes the same gifts to all men. And he does this by his grace, not because of anything that we earn or deserve. And so we rejoice in these gifts and give him praise. Most importantly, of course, we rejoice in the gift of his son who came to free us from our sin. Mary certainly rejoiced not only that the time of fulfillment had finally come and Jesus was coming into this world, but that because of God's grace, not because of who she was, but because of God's grace, she received this privilege that she was to be the mother of the Savior, the mother of God. Certainly a wonderful gift that God gave to Mary. It certainly was appropriate for her then to sing praise to God as she does in the Magnificat. And in a little bit as we're going through the Magnificat, we'll recognize how that entire song of Mary is focusing on God and his grace and how she's nothing special in and of herself. One of the key points that the CPH material emphasizes is that this Sunday School lesson, this lesson, is all about God's great reversal. Uh, his greatness for our sin. He takes us from our sinful and humble position and exalts us by his grace through his Savior, Jesus Christ. The uh, CPH material suggests, uh, you know, asking your kids, how would you feel if President Trump, or maybe you could ask them about one of their favorite heroes. Uh, maybe some of the older kids have a basketball star, or uh, maybe the kids have a favorite character on TV. You could say, how would you feel if that person was going to come and stay at your house? And of course, most people are going to say, wow, that would be really something awesome. I could go around and tell everyone so-and-so came and stayed at my house. I know them personally. And you might even say, wow, I don't deserve that, but that's really a wonderful treat that God has given to me. And that's really the, the key of Mary's Magnificat. That's what she's expressing and proclaiming in that song. Well, what a wonderful thing that God had done for her uh, that she received this great honor to be the mother of the Savior, Jesus Christ. At the beginning of our, our story begins with Mary going to greet her cousin Elizabeth. Uh, this is just after the angel departs from her, having told her that she was going to bear the Savior. She was going to give birth to the Savior. And having told her about Elizabeth and how she also had a special child, uh, so naturally, Mary goes down to, to see Elizabeth. Very often when we experience something amazing in our life or something very sad, something emotional on either side of the spectrum, we seek out those who can appreciate and either be sad or rejoice with us, who, who understand what we're going through. And so Mary very naturally rushes to see her cousin Elizabeth. First of all, Elizabeth would instantly believe Mary because Elizabeth 
had already been told kind of what the plan was and what was going on, she herself being pregnant with John. So this was someone that Mary wouldn't have to try and convince that, yes, this is really the son of God in my womb. Not many people are going to listen to her. But here's someone who would believe her. And that's one reason she goes to share this good news with her. But then also because she knew that Elizabeth also had great news and they could rejoice together and kind of, you know, go through this a little bit together. Uh, when Mary got to Elizabeth's house, uh, both Elizabeth and her baby, her baby would become John the Baptist, uh, but she, he's still in her womb, and yet the baby leaps for joy, recognizing the presence of his Savior, and Elizabeth recognizing the presence of her Savior, and her cousin Mary proclaims, Blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Mary is blessed because God has favored her with his grace, and God chose Mary to bear his uh, eternal and only begotten son. And what a wonderful and amazing privilege that was. No, no other woman, no other person in the history of creation has been given this wonderful privilege. Uh, and so Elizabeth rightfully rejoices in the gift that has been given to Mary, and Mary rejoices in the gift that has been given to Elizabeth and rejoice together. Uh, starting in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, we have what we often refer to as the Magnificat. Uh, it's called that because that's the Latin word that begins the song of praise. Uh, in English, it begins, my soul magnifies the Lord, but uh, in Latin, the verb magnif magnificate uh, magnifies comes first and so it's simply named after the first word of the song but it is a very appropriate title for the song because the entire point of mary's song is to proclaim what a wonderful and amazing thing god has done for her and so the entire song is focused on how great god is and how great his gifts are because the catholics have so abused the idea of mary and take it too far in worshiping her, we're sometimes a little bit hesitant, uh, not sure what to say or or think about the Magnificat and, and about Mary. Uh, we don't want to worship her or, or raise her up higher than she ought to be. We don't want to do something sinful. But at the same time, it's wrong to ignore uh, what a amazing place Mary was given in God's plan of salvation for us. And it is right to honor her to some degree, recognizing uh, the difficult life that she had to go through, the part she played in God's plan of salvation, as long as we remember and recognize that it, in the end it's, it's God's doing. He did it through Mary. He did some of these things through Mary, but it's, it's God's doing. And so we do have in our church calendar a year... Uh, set aside for re the remembrance of Mary, and it's it's not long to recognize that day and to use it as a day to remember what God has done for Mary. Certainly not wrong to read the Magnificat and use it in our worship service. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So notice from the very first words, Mary acknowledges uh, that this is her Savior too, that she is a sinner. And notice again, verse eight, 
48. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. So there's nothing in Mary. I'm humble. I'm lowly. Uh, and that's not just her pretending to be humble. Um, but that's her recognizing that her life is a humble life. It is a, a sinful life. There's nothing great or glamorous about it. But God has raised her up and caused her to be called blessed. Uh, everyone, for, for now on, all generations will call me blessed. And certainly, we certainly recognize and rejoice in Mary's life because through her, God brought our salvation. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Notice the reversal that we talked about there before. He is mighty. I am lowly. His might has done great things for me. His mercy is uh, from generation to generation. God scatters the proud in their self-made wisdom. See, there's that, that reversal again. My humble life, I'm nothing. We, we always want to stop and take a step back when we hear that word humble because we hear the word humble, we so often probably think of, well, some politician up there who really does think he's all that in a bag of chips, but he's pretending like, oh, he's pretending to be humble. And that's not what Mary is saying here. What she is saying here is, I am a sinner. There's nothing great about me. Uh, I My life is a humble life. And so you have the, the reversal there that the humble, the in the eyes of the world, is just this poor girl from Nazareth God has raised up. And the great, the mighty, the wise, God has brought down and destroyed through Jesus Christ and through his power. The hungry he has filled with good things, but the rich he has sent away uh, with empty bellies. He has helped his servant Israel as he promised to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Uh, and Mary remained with her about three months and then returned home. So Mary, the angel Gabriel, you probably remember, appeared to Mary and gave her the promise that she would conceive Jesus when Elizabeth was in her sixth month. So Mary then went to Elizabeth and stayed with her for three months, which would bring you to, bring you to, sorry, that would actually bring you to nine months. Uh, so maybe Mary didn't stay with her. Yeah, sorry, I'm sorry. Nine months is normal pregnancy, right? So she went down and stayed with her until Elizabeth gave birth to John. And then Mary returned home. Concerning the personal union, so here we have uh, with the birth of Jesus or the conception of Jesus, uh, we have the personal union of God in the person of Jesus Christ. When we talk about the personal union, we're talking about the fact that Jesus is both true God and true man. And the formula of Concord, one of our Lutheran doctrinal writings, one of our very important Lutheran doctrinal writings, has this to say about Mary. An account of this personal union and communion of the natures. Mary, the most blessed virgin, did not bear a mere man, but as the angel Gabriel testifies, she bore a man who is truly the son of the Most High God. That is, he was true God. He showed his divine majesty even in his mother's womb because he was born of a virgin without violating her virginity. Therefore, she is truly the mother of God and yet has remained a virgin. Now, those last two sentences, that was a common uh, idea. There, there may be something there, a common idea in Luther's day that Mary remained a virgin her whole life. 
So even after giving birth to Jesus, she never had relations with Joseph. Uh, she remained virgin. And the Bible doesn't really say that. So we don't we need, don't need to worry about that last line very much. But the important part we want to talk about is the confession here that, yes, it is fair to call Mary the Son of God, uh, because Jesus is true God and true man, and Mary is Jesus's mother. So Mary is the the mother of God. Sorry, not the Son of God. Uh, Mary is the mother of God. That's that's very true, and one of the things that that we recognize and as I was talking about before, a wonderful thing that God did for her. Luke 1, 41 and 44, uh, Elizabeth's unborn baby testifies to the presence of Jesus. And this reminds us of two important biblical truths. Uh, the first one is that a baby in the womb is a life, an independent life from the mother, John the baby in Elizabeth's room recognizes the presence of his Savior, Jesus Christ, and leaps for joy. It's John's joy. It's the baby's joy, independent of his mother. Now, granted, that's clearly a miracle because normally a baby in the womb can't recognize the presence of another baby uh, and can't experience joy that, hey, there's this other baby in this other mother out there, right? Uh, so, John's recognition of Jesus's presence is a miracle, God's power at work, but nevertheless it does testify to the fact that this is an independent living being through whom God works this recognition and this miracle. And second of all, it shows us also that babies can and do have faith uh, because John recognizes Jesus and rejoices. There's, there's faith there. And again, that's obviously God's power at work, but that's always true about faith. Faith is always a work of God that he gives to us, not something we do of the self. It's always a miracle brought about by God's power. So it doesn't really matter if you're talking about faith in a little child or faith in an adult. It comes the same way, by God's power. It's a gift from him to John, just as Jesus is a gift to Mary and to all of us. Quick recap, just remember the, the key message we want to get across this Sunday is that we are all sinners. Mary also is a sinner. God gave this great gift to her. God gives this gift to us as well as a son, as his son to save us from our sin. And we certainly should rejoice in that gift and thank and praise God for it. <laughs>